Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. So I I know you've got a lot going on. But remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening, because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better, because it can. Bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or... Call or text 988, available 24-7. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right. It's unjust. And Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE or go to timesharejesse.com. Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine an Olympic-sized swimming pool. No deep end, or no shallow end. Just deep, deep water, you know, like those Olympic swimming pools are. You're standing there on the edge of the swimming pool. Only it's full of salt water. 
ocean water. And there is an 18-foot tiger shark swimming around the pool. You have a life jacket on. You are lifted up by a crane. You can see this tiger shark swimming around underneath you. And you are dropped into the water. You are not allowed to swim to the sides. You must stay there in the water. You're paralyzed out there. Now I want you to imagine the people who just placed you in that water say goodbye, walk over to the door of the windowless room where this Olympic-sized pool is and shut out the lights and close the door. What's going through your mind? Have you have you now redefined stress apprehension? Are you hyper hyper aware of anything that may touch your feet? How hard are you listening even though you probably wouldn't hear it coming? How hard are you listening for anything out of the ordinary? It's pitch black, but how hard are you staring into that black water just hoping for maybe a chance to see it coming? If it's coming, when is it coming? Now, I want you to imagine you are stuck there for 100 hours. And what I just described to you is something real people went through and much, much, much worse. People ask me all the time, because I'm such a history freak, they ask me all the time, what's one thing you you wish you could know? One thing you wish you could have seen? And it's a very hard thing to, do, to answer because there are so many that I wish I could have seen. But one of the general concepts I tell people lots of times when they ask me this question is this. What I wish I could see are all the stories that never get told and how they ended. And this is what I mean. You have a pilot shot down over Vietnam. He gets captured, hauled off to a prison camp escapes, torture, death, snakes, everything else, finally, for one reason or another, dies before he gets back to civilization. How many stories like that are out there that are basically the greatest story ever told or most horrific story ever told, but you and I will never, ever, ever know about them because there's nothing to record it. There's no one to record it. How many stories are like that out there? Or even older than that, where you sent uh, you sent a rider, you know, back in horseback days. You sent a rider with an important message to go here. How many stories are out there of a rider being kidnapped, captured, escaped? Gets back? They're endless, right? Endless, incredible stories 
that we'll never know. Think about all the amazing stories we have out there and consider when you consider we only have so many records, we only have so many word of mouth stories that have been passed down. And we only have so many people who lived to tell the tale. All the cool stories we have, it's a drop in the bucket of how many there are. You can see the tip of the iceberg, as the saying goes. And one of those that I've always wondered from a, I guess it's a bit of a macabre way to look at it. I've always wondered what it was like to be on a ship that went down in the ocean. How many stories are there out there like that? Think about Christopher Columbus's age. Cortez, Magellan, all these guys. And how harrowing it was on the high seas back then. I mean, shoot, it can be harrowing now, but back then. How many ships went down and have this exact story we're about to tell today and you and I never got to hear about it because they all died. Nobody ever heard from them again. It's crazy, isn't it? Wild. Well, we have laid out in front of us what a shipwreck looks like. And it's horrific. It happened. It's called the USS Indianapolis. And the USS Indianapolis is famous for the sharks. We'll get to that in a minute. But honestly, the food and water deprivation may be the most horrible part of the story when you add in what that means for your psyche and your body. There's this, you know, Greek tragedies, Greek mythology. You at least know of them if you're not fascinated with it. They're awesome stories the Greeks used to tell each other. Whether or not they believed them is a long shot, but they were supposed to be lessons to children. The same way you teach your, you tell your children stories to teach them lessons. You know, boy who cried wolf, that kind of stuff. There's a fascinating one about Tantalus, and I'm not going to go into all the details because I'm not doing Greek mythology today. Tantalus is a man, finds himself on Mount Olympus. I'm not going to go into the details why, but he has a son called Pelops. He decides he wants to... Feed his son to the gods. Tantalus is made, he's, he's tasked with preparing a meal to the gods, Zeus and otherwise. He takes his son, he chops him up into little pieces and boils him up in a soup or something, if I remember right, and serves him to the gods. The gods find out about this and they are horrified, to put it mildly, and Tantalus's punishment of all the horrible Greek mythology punishments, might be the worst I've ever heard in my entire life. They place him in Tartarus, kind of their purgatory hell type place. They place him in a pool of water with a low-hanging fruit tree above him. Whenever he is hungry, he reaches up for the fruit tree. It then rises up to put the fruit just out of reach. The pool of water is up to his chest, I believe. Whenever he's thirsty, it's supposed to be the clearest, coolest, best-looking water ever, too. Whenever he's thirsty, he bends down to drink, and the water level, it goes down so he can't reach it. 
and he has to live for all of eternity in that torment. It's not the deprivation. It's having what can satisfy you right there and not be able to touch it. Imagine you're dying of thirst while floating in the ocean. Can't touch it or you'll die. Now let's do a little brief setup on the USS Indianapolis here. Because believe me, once this story is done, they went over ad nauseum. How did this happen? Well, let's begin at the beginning. Hang on. Simply Safe has changed home security because they've made it so easy. And don't you want more easy in your life right now? Isn't everything else so complicated and difficult? Everything is like pulling teeth out there, not Simply Safe. You can have home security with no contract. You can have home security starting at $15 a month. No pushy salespeople, no nothing. You can pick up your phone right now and go to simplysafe.com slash jesse. You go there, you pick out what you want, they ship it to you. If you use simplysafe.com slash jesse, they ship it to you free. You get the box, you open the box, you place the sensors, just yourself or do it as a family. That's what we did. And you are covered 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Go to simplysafe.com slash jesse. That's simplysafe.com slash jesse. Jesse Kelly. Back soon. The USS Indianapolis was a cruiser. Not a destroyer, not a battleship, not an aircraft carrier or a cruiser. I don't expect you to know or necessarily care what that means. Just understand that this is what it means. It's fast. About 700 feet long, and it's fast. Really, really, really fast. What does that mean for it? It means it gets some really cool assignments sometimes. One of those assignments... How about carrying Roosevelt himself on his first international trip? Kind of cool, right? That's a big, big deal. Also shows you what kind of a capable ship it was. And what kind of a capable captain it had. And we'll get back to that. Believe me when I tell you, The president of the United States of America is not stepping foot on a ship that does not have a captain that is highly, highly thought of in Navy circles. You don't put him on with the new guy who's at the helm for the first time. No, 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 no. The USS Indianapolis was off Pearl Harbor. It wasn't at Pearl Harbor, but just off Pearl Harbor during the attack. Thrown into commission As a warship, and when I say warship, I mean a ship at Iwo Jima. A ship with pelts on the wall. 
shooting down kamikaze planes and, as luck would have it, turns out really, really bad luck, gets hit by a kamikaze plane. Remember, the Japanese kamikaze, it was something the Americans always found stunning, but something they had to deal with. A Japanese kamikaze is simply a Japanese pilot who does his death rites, burial rites, before he gets on the plane, and he gets on the plane, and it is a one-way trip, Jack. He has an armed bomb on the plane, and they're flying the plane into naval vessels. Contrary to what you hear, that was not widely used by the Japanese Army and Navy in the early part of the war. They started using kamikazes more and more because Japan ran out of good pilots. They ran out of good pilots because Americans turned out to be really, really good pilots and we kept shooting them all out of the sky. So if you have a bunch of poorly trained idiots, probably not going to win a dogfight with another American pilot. Ah. Hey, Charlie, we're just going to go ahead and slap a bomb on you and fly into the ship, right? I mean, look, let's be honest. You're not doing any good otherwise. I've always wondered how that conversation went. Look, you and I both know you're not good at this, okay? But there's one thing we think you could do. Do you think you could hit an aircraft carrier? USS Indianapolis was hit by one of these kamikaze ships. Nine men died. It had to go in for repairs. Goes back, gets some repairs, and lo and behold, it is time to ship over a little present to Japan because it is 1945 And we have had about enough of these people. They're not giving up. We have taken all the islands back in the Pacific that they took originally. Well, not all of them. We bypassed some, but you know what I mean. We now are in a place where we can bomb mainland Japan. And these Japanese people are still not giving up. They never, ever, ever give up in mass as a group. That's virtually unheard of at this time. Every other army gave up in mass when surrounded. The Japanese never did. They appear to be suicidal. They routinely torture and rape everybody they find. They're thought of as lower barbarians. We have to figure out a way to get these people to give up. Otherwise, we are going to lose a lot of men if we invade Japan. The decision is made by Truman. Let's give a tryout for this new technology we've been developed. We've been developing called nuclear weapons, the atom bomb. One of those bombs, maybe you've heard of it, was called Little Boy. Well, you have to get a ship to carry this bomb, or at least components of the bomb. Contrary to what you saw in the movie Jaws and what you've read in the books, The Indianapolis was not carrying the bomb. You would never send an assembled bomb like that because it was way too secret. What it was carrying was a uranium core, which is a pretty important part of the bomb, and a gigantic crate. Now it's important to know, and this is going to play into our story. One, the men on the ship had no idea what they were carrying, but they did know 
It was very, very, very special and very, very secret. And as you can imagine, on a ship with a bunch of young men, rumors were flying. One young man started a rumor that it was full. The crate itself was full of toilet paper for MacArthur. <laughs> Women's underwear. Right? It, was, it was everything you could. It's, look, it's young men. All right, deal with it. That's, that's, how, that's how we are. We're savages. But good-natured fun. What's in it? What's in it? But they knew it was very special. Because no other ship was allowed anywhere near it, ever. Including when they docked at Pearl Harbor, they had to virtually clear out all the docks within eyesight of it. So you know, okay, I don't know what's in here, but I really also know this is definitely not toilet paper for MacArthur. We've got something important. It also means... You're not going to get anybody cruising along with you. Ships generally do not cruise along by themselves. Even gigantic aircraft carriers and battleships with all their guns, you travel in a fleet. No ship was allowed within eyesight of this Indianapolis, even in the ocean. They would get radio signals, get away. It's that kind of secret. They need to get this cargo where it's going, and they need to get where it's going quickly. Now, I know what you're saying, or what you're thinking. Aren't they worried about torpedoes from submarines at this time? No, not delivering the ship. Let me explain. You and I think of submarines. We think of Hunt for Red October. We think of modern submarines. We think of Germans, you know, and Japanese sinking cargo vessels. Understand something. That's today. At this time in World War II, yes, submarine torpedoes, as we're going to find out, can sink a lot of ships. However, when a submarine goes underwater, a submarine is brutally slow at this time. Brutally slow. A cruiser at full speed, which is a fast ship, is under virtually no danger if it's taking the proper precautions of being sunk by a submarine outside of a lucky shot. I mean, it's very, very, very difficult. Very difficult. They want this ship by itself. They want this ship flying down to deliver the bomb. And they don't want anybody else around it. And the USS Indianapolis pulls this off, flies to get where it's going, unloads its very, very, very precious cargo, and it cruises on. And when I say flying... They also knew, get this, at least the leadership of the ship, they were told this is a ship with cargo that can help end the war and our men are dying. Do not delay. Every day you delay, more men die. We're trying to end the war. So you know, okay, hit the gas, Marty. We gots to roll. They drop off their stuff. They turn to head home. Now is when the controversy begins around the ship, around who is responsible for what. Because when we get to the meat of our story and how the men died there, you have to understand this is the United States of America. And when we find out our boys are dying, it's a tragedy. When we find out how these boys died, now it's a controversy. Hang on.
your identity, it's out there. It's out there online. And when I'm talking about your identity, I'm talking about your credit cards, your debit cards, your bank accounts, your social security number, your credit score. It's all out there. That's not good. And here's why it's not good. Because cyber criminals, they are the future. They are the new wave of crime. The criminal you have to worry about today isn't a guy with a ski mask on holding up a bank with a gun. He's a guy prowling online trying to get your information. They're doing it as we speak. You need Identity Hero. Identity Hero is an American-based identity theft protection company. And get this. They can protect you for $7.95 a month. $7.95 a month. Go to identityhero.net slash jesse. The controversy begins now. The Indianapolis has dropped off its cargo. It is now taking back off. And there's not all one ocean in the Navy's mind. It's divided up into command zones. And this is not the first or only time during the war this caused controversy, especially when ships are traveling from zone to zone. Okay, while you're in this zone, you're under this command. When you're moving into that zone, you then move under that command. When you're in between zones or kind of in between zones, uh, we'll figure it out. And to understand why that's so hard, you have to understand how complicated and crazy the war is. You can have Battleship Jesse. That takes off from command zone, we'll call it A. And it is heading for a destination in command zone B. And then it gets from command zone A into command zone B. But then command zone A gets a hold of it again because something else just popped up back in command zone A. So we need it to turn back around. But command zone B has to be, we have to let them know because it has to turn back around and go back to command zone A. And... That is one make-believe scenario I brought up. Now picture fleets and fleets and fleets of ships and planes. It is complicated. And if it sounds like I'm defending people here, I am. There's not, it's not that simple. During this time, get this. You would know if a ship left your area... However, if a ship was supposed to come to your area and didn't arrive, you didn't record that or care about it. And when the American people found out about this, they're freaking out, right? What do you mean you don't care about it? What do you know? Again, remember what I just said? Ships got called off and diverted to other things all the time. We're going to have a couple ships have that happen to them in this story. If you're, I mean, supposedly there's some ship, battleship Jesse's coming our way, supposed to be here tomorrow. Doesn't show up the next day. Oh, all right. Must be doing something else. Because they were always doing something else. It's, it gets complicated, man. Very complicated. Now, 
The Indianapolis is not flying through the water anymore. And now is when the information, even today with all the telegrams and, and things we know, it gets very, very, very confusing. And believe me when I tell you, I bet I read 10 different things on this last night trying to figure out what the actual truth was. There are people who swear to this day there was notification everywhere that there were Japanese submarines active in the area. And that does appear to be true. They had American ships out on Japanese submarine hunts all over the place. But at the same time, and this appears to be true as well, the captain of the Indianapolis appears to have been told there aren't any active submarines in the area. Why does that matter? Well, here's why it matters. It matters a lot. When you are trying to avoid getting struck by a torpedo, when you're not flying at full speed because you don't drive your ship at full speed unless you're carrying an atom bomb, when you're not driving at full speed, you zigzag through the water. You do not drive just in a straight line. You zigzag, which makes the chances of the torpedo hitting you a lot less. Kind of. It should be noted, and this will come up here in a little while, too. The Japanese were very, very capable at sea. They had an outstanding Navy, and by now they had adjusted to this. They were going to hit him no matter what. But it's dark. It is midnight in the South Pacific. The captain is getting ready to go to sleep for the night. And the question is posed to him. He has to make a decision Should we zigzag through the water or just cruise along straight? Again, he's been told there aren't active submarines. And I know what you might be thinking. Well, why not zigzag anyway, just in case? Have you ever been on a boat? How much time have you spent on a boat? A boat can be rough and beat you up when you're driving straight through the water. You go ahead and zigzag a battle cruiser through the water and figure out what that feels like. At, mid- at midnight, you have exhausted men. You have a bunch of men who've gotten sick. They're in sick bay. That's going to come into play here in a minute, too. Why not, if you're a captain, a captain who cares about his men, just go ahead and give your men a good night's sleep, and the captain makes the decision. No zigzagging tonight. It's a dark night anyway. They're not going to be able to see us. Just cruise along straight. Well, that didn't work. Japanese submarine under a very, very, very capable commander sees them, zeroes in on them. This cruiser does not have any underwater detection equipment. Not like one of these submarine hunting destroyers. Chris raised his hands. Why? Most ships were not equipped with these. You had submarine hunting ships, and then you had ships that weren't submarine hunting ships. Every ship, I mean, we like to imagine the Navy back then. It's just like today. Everybody has these fancy computer screens, and you have these fancy, it's not that way. And we're developing technology throughout. They had no idea the submarine was there. They were in carnival cruise ship mode. At midnight, men are asleep all over the ship. 
They're not even battle ready at this point. And sleep on one of these ships. I'm assuming you haven't seen the inside of a naval vessel. You need to understand what it's like to sleep inside. It's not like you see, again, in Hunt for Red October, where the captain has this nice little cabin, almost like a little dorm room. He's got a desk and a little bed and a closet. It's not that's I mean, it's nothing fancy, but it's, that's not bad. I could. That is not what it's like for 99.99% of the people on these ships. You stack each other up like sardines on these ships. And when I say sardines, that's not really an exaggeration. You will stack bunks up, not just one or two, lots of them. And when you lay down in your little bunk, the man underneath you, it can be less than a foot underneath you, and the man above you can be less than a foot above you. You are stacked like sardines, and it's pitch black. And it's pitch black when torpedo number one hits the bow of the ship, the front of the ship, and it hits it so hard and hits it so solidly that it blows off the front half, the front, not front half, but the front portion of the ship blows off. When they eventually found the Indianapolis decades later, it was a mile away from the rest of the ship. That is a massive explosion. And when you think that's a massive explosion, that is a small preview of the one that's about to come because the second torpedo hits right about the center. And this part is... Well, it's horrific. There's not another way to put it. Ships have what is called a magazine, these naval vessels. The magazine is where you keep all the high explosives, the gunpowders, the bombs, and such. Death for a naval vessel is when anything hits that magazine flammable because then everything goes up. Hang on. Feeling a little stocky? Follow, like, and subscribe on social at Jesse Kelly DC. HomeTitleLock.com is something you really need to consider, like, right now. Because this is what it is. Your home title is digital. It's out there online. Home title theft is the cybercrime sweeping the country because cyber thieves will get that home title of yours online. They'll get your signature on it. They'll take a loan out against it at the bank, a loan that you have to pay back. And don't think for one second that your home insurance is going to protect you. They will not protect you. The only way to protect yourself is to go to HomeTitleLock.com. This is real, and it's one of those things that once it happens to you, you're going to want to email me and say, ah, I should have listened. Don't, don't ever write that email. Just go get it now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, and when you use the code JESSE, that gets you 30 free days of protection. 
HomeTitleLock.com, promo code JESSE. Make sure you don't get evicted from your home. Torpedo number two hits the middle of the ship. It hits the ship's magazine, and this causes two humongous problems. One, obviously the magazine explodes, which disintegrates the ship. Two, we have the Marines on the ship and the officers on the ship This happens to be where they all sleep. Now, why does that matter a lot for our story? Well, this is not in any way to disparage all the incredibly brave Navy dudes who went into the water in submarines after this thing goes down. But when you take away the ship's officers, you as much as I hate officers, you have taken away critical portions of the ship's leadership even though the men really, really made a great showing of themselves. And when you take away the Marines on a naval vessel, I don't care how much this offends you, you've taken away some toughness and grit there. That's why the Marines are there. Protect the vessel. Extra hard training. These are harder men. They just are what they're there for. Well, they all got blown to freaking smithereens. And everybody else who didn't get blown up already, I mean, imagine the injuries you're dealing with already. Pitch black in the middle of the night. People are burning to death. People are drowning. People are drowning. And sometimes these dudes, I mean, just the thought of this is unbelievable. Sometimes these dudes have to drown their own friends on purpose. I mean, you're watching a compartment fill up with water and you've been ordered to seal the door so the ship doesn't sink as fast and your buddy's staring at you in the face, can't get to the door saying, don't, and you slam the door. That's not something that just takes place in the movies. That happened. This story, as you can probably tell, means a lot to me because it just, it means a lot more when it's your guys. These are our guys and man, what a way to go. And now guys have broken limbs, burnt limbs. Some of these guys are burnt to a crisp. Remember the sick bay I told you happened to be full? The sick bay tilted over and everybody who was strapped to a bed in the sick bay just slipped into the ocean, tied to a bed. And you're watching this. You're watching this. You're trying to save friends. You're trying to save the wounded. And I cannot speak highly enough. The the accounts that come after this. I read the best book in the world on this. It's called In Harm's Way. I need to read another book on it. Highly recommend the book. But I mean, there's some gut-wrenching stuff of these guys trying to save each other. It took 12 minutes for this cruiser to sink under the ocean. At midnight, pitch black outside. 1,200 men on board. It was actually 1,196, but 1,200 men on board 
Only 900 even make it into the ocean because that's how many died on the ship or went down with the ship. And those are even estimates because try to take in the chaos all around you, the screaming, the horrific wounds trying to help this guy. And then the ship begins to tilt up. So men who are trying to jump off of the ship They're landing on another part of the ship. There's reports of guys landing on the still-running propellers as they jump off the ship. Go ahead and have that image in your mind. You think you ever forget that image? Now we get to a controversial part of it. Remember in Jaws when he said no distress signal had been sent? That's not true. It's not historically accurate. They did send out an SOS, but one of two things happened. And again, we get conflicting reports all over the place. The SOS signal was sent out. They just don't know whether they lost power before the signal actually went out. And what they do know is nobody received it. I never could find out why nobody received it. All anything will tell me and everything I've read is nobody received it. What does that mean? Does the, Did the signal not get there? Are they not recording all the signals? Did they have, not have the ability to record the signals? Was a radio operator outside having a smoke somewhere? These are the little things that matter. A lot. A lot. And you get into the water in the middle of the night. You have wounded men everywhere, and this part just floors me. Just floors me. I mean, remember that scenario at the beginning of you in the Olympic-sized swimming pool with the tiger shark underneath you? Let's do that again, only this time let's burn out your eyeballs. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not trying to be horrific. A man named Stanley Lipsky had his eyeballs burnt out of his head by the time he got into the water. This freaking legend was wounded beyond belief. And ugh, you ready to have a tearjerker? I'll give you his message to his wife. Hang on. Never completely ready to adopt a teen. For late nights writing English papers. For your teen's music taste. For dinners, where they talk more on their phone than with you. For the first time, they call you mom. You're never completely ready to adopt a teen, and you can't imagine the reward. To learn more about adopting a teen, visit adoptuskids.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Adopt U.S. Kids, and the Ad Council. Part-time job, full-time hustle, all-time Shiro to all of us. You nurture, we listen. You teach, we thrive. You lift our spirits, but we've got to lay down the truth. It's time for you, our Shiro, to stretch for the stars. Start saving more for retirement now so you can feel prepared and live your life to the fullest. Get free tips to help boost your retirement savings now at aceyourretirement.org. A message brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
Stanley Lipsky had other horrific injuries that I'm going to spare you. Let's just put it this way. He's dying in the ocean. He knows he's dying, and it's it's not good. Turns to his friend Lou. The guy's name is Dr. Haynes. Turns to his friend Lou and says, Lou, I'm dying. Please tell my wife I love her. I want her to marry again. And Stanley Lipsky died there in the ocean while the men were trying to hold him above the water so he didn't hurt too much. This is on day one or two. If you think this is already bad, if you think this is already a scene that is just, I mean, out of some kind of horror movie, Oh, it it gets worse. A lot worse. Hang on. Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. The situation now is 900 or so men. Again, we'll never know exact numbers because of the insanity of all of it. Spread out across the water. Some of them in in rafts, but not many. And when I say raft, understand something. I'm talking about something you have to throw together yourself in the ocean. I'll look at this floating piece and that floating piece. Some of them with life vests by the grace of God. And look, if you're looking for any bright spot in this story... As luck would have it, the ship, there was a mistake, and the ship received a double supply of life vests, double the amount it needed, before they took off. They had no idea what to do with them, so they were just chucking them all over the place in the ship. Well, now you got a bunch of extra life vests floating around the water, saving lives. So they're gathering together on rafts as best they can. They're gathering together in groups as best they can. But it's also important for you to remember they are not in a pond. They are in the ocean with waves and currents. We have injuries all over the place. They're caring for each other as best they can. Sometimes people are getting separated. And then as daylight rolls around, they begin to see the sharks. Sharks are attracted to noise, thrashing, blood in the water. Do you think there's any noise 
any thrashing or any blood when a gigantic 10,000-ton naval vessel gets blown out of the water and sinks? Yeah. Sharks come, and I don't mean one or two of them. The water is warm, 80 degrees. We're in the South Pacific. The water's warm, and the sharks come. The men, now this is hard for us to put ourselves in that mind and that mindset, you and I, because we live in an era post the most influential movie of all time. Now, what am I talking about? Jaws. Do not argue with me. There's not a more influential movie in the history of mankind. Jaws changed the way human beings think about sharks. This is 30 years Prior to Jaws being put out there, the men are obviously aware of the existence of sharks. It is in no way billed as some huge danger while you're in the water to these guys. It's never sold that way. They've never seen probably a movie at all. I mean, they had seen movies, but very few. And they dang sure hadn't seen a movie about a shark sawing you in half with his teeth. What they do start to notice is the sharks swimming all around them because the water is clear, swimming underneath them at all times. And what they begin to notice and gets to be a little disconcerting is the sharks start to eat the men who are dead. Men are dying in their life vests. When they die, you have no choice. The men will It's really touching. Men will give them some last rites as best they can and shove them away or take their life jacket away. You must do such a thing because supplies are limited. And now you watch as that dead buddy of yours gets torn apart by sharks. But here's the thing. Sharks, You maybe you've heard of a feeding frenzy before. Maybe you haven't. When sharks start to eat like that and group up starting to eat like that, this is not an intelligent animal. They go crazy and start to bite at everything, including other sharks. Feeding frenzies are famous for sharks dying. They'll find a whale carcass or something, and they'll all swarm it, and everybody's just biting everything, and little sharks will get eaten up. And then the sharks start to set their sights on the people who are still living. At first, they focus on the men who are by themselves. Why is anybody by themselves? Well, for a couple different reasons, and this this is when the story gets extra terrible. These men don't have food. These men don't have water. Very, very, very quickly, life jacket or not, given the amount of stress, the lack of nutrients in your body, you would lack the physical strength to do very much at all. Sometimes these men would drift away from a group and just lack the strength to get back to the group. And there are these awesome stories about guys swimming out away from the group to go try to grab one of their buddies and drag him back in. Sometimes the men would drift away from the group because they simply gave up hope. There are... A lot of stories, and we don't like to talk about this part of war. We never do. I hardly ever do because it's awful, and it looks awful, and it's not something we praise, and it's not something we make movies about. There are a lot of stories in this story of men committing suicide. 
on purpose. Can you imagine purposely making yourself be attacked by a shark? These guys did. They knew what would happen if you left the group and they would swim away because they didn't want to live anymore. Dying in the Pacific heat of sunburn and thirst and starvation and, and fear. At some point in time, you're so tired of being scared, you just want it to end. They would swim away from the group, sometimes with their life jacket on. The sharks would take them down to the bottom, and the men would be looking on in horror at their buddy he used to be there. And what would happen? The life jacket their buddy was wearing would come shooting out of the surface of the ocean, empty. It's tough to think about, right? Or... You remember that story from that Greek tragedy in the beginning? The men just couldn't take the thirst anymore. And honestly, that might be worse than the sharks. You don't think it is. You and I don't because we're sitting here. I have a cup of water six inches away from my face right now. When's the last time you were really, really, really dehydrated? Imagine being in the South Pacific for 24, 48, 72 hours. And you're surrounded by water. Some men would simply start drinking the ocean water, which will make you go crazy, dehydrate you. You're dead instant. I mean, you're not dead instantly, but you're, do- you're, you're gone. That's it. You drink that ocean water, you're done. Period. Game over. And then another one of the really, really ugly things, the sharks now start attacking the life rafts. Because now they've picked off all the wounded, all the individuals. The sharks now start attacking the groups. Men would group up in these big circles and anyone on the outside of the circle would get attacked. They used to have to rotate around, spend different amounts of time. And after two or three days and that kind of heat, no food, no water, constant shark attack, Many of the men lost their minds. You would anyway, just physically, your body needs nutrients. And they started killing each other. They say around 50 of them killed each other. What goes through your conscience the rest of your life if you were one of those ones who did that when you get your mind back? Finally, after days of this, days, plural, by the grace of God, and there can be no other way this happened, a couple planes simply out on patrol, they're just surveying things, see people in the water, they drop down and get ready to attack. There's not supposed to, they're not looking for the Indianapolis at all, or the crew. Nobody's looking. Hang on. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. HomeTitleLock.com has absolutely become necessary. Not optional, it's become necessary. 
Because your home title, it's no longer a piece of paper, a piece of physical paper sitting in a bank vault somewhere. Your home title, it is a digital piece of information. And because it's digital, these online criminals can get their hands on it. And I have some bad news for you. They can get their hands on it easily. Easily. It's not even remotely difficult for them. So don't take that chance because if they get their hands on your home title, you are going to have a gigantic loan that you are obligated to pay back. And if you don't pay it back, they will evict you from that home of yours. Don't take that chance. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Use the code JESSE. When you do that, that gets you 30 free days of protection. Planes dip down. They see our boys in the water, see that they are our boys. And I never could get clarification on why they had supplies on these planes, but apparently they did. They had supplies to drop them and did drop them. I couldn't get clarification on what the supplies were or what they dropped. I'm assuming it was food and water. Maybe some life jackets in case the plane went down. These these air patrols in the ocean would have definitely had life jackets. Maybe a maybe even a raft or two. Probably actually, you know what? Probably almost undoubtedly a raft. Dropped them into the water, and then obviously radioed for help. Where two destroyers? Remember how I said ships got distracted, ships got pulled away from their mission all the time. Two destroyers diverted. And cruised on over there and picked our guys up. And they say after a hundred hours in the water, not a single one of our guys would have lasted the next night. There were only about 300 left. Sharks ate the rest of them. Our guys were in such pain, such anguish, many of them couldn't speak. Words wouldn't come out. Now, here's the part of the story that goes from being a, you know, a tough story of survival and death and all this other stuff to something that really kind of grosses me out, but it is the way of it. The American public finds out about all this. This is the modern era. This is 1945. You're not going to keep something like this quiet. There are enough people who live, enough reports out there that people are going to find out what happened. And this part gets difficult, maybe difficult to hear, but it's true. I have two sons. I've thought about what happens if they decide to do what I did and join the Marine Corps one day. What if they decide to go off to combat one day? I know for a fact, because I've got your emails and God bless you for them, that I have people listening right now who have lost children in combat. So I'm not trying to pick at any scabs here, but it's important to understand this is what happened. When you lose a child there, that way, in any way really, combat or not, I don't even want to imagine how gut-wrenching that is. It's every parent's fear. If you lose them in a really, really, really ugly way, being 
torn in half by a shark kind of a way. You want to dang sure make sure that wasn't preventable. And if it sounds like it should have been preventable, you're going to be angry. And there were many, many, many very angry parents and spouses of these young men who died and they wanted a head on a spit. Well, here's the problem if you're the United States of America. If you're going to start assigning blame at the end of a war that has brought a country together, at the end of a war that has seen you celebrating Army, Navy, Marine Corps, woohoo! These guys are warriors. They are the lions of America, greatest generation. I mean, you think we love them now. Think how much they loved them then, and they loved them as they should have. But the problem is if you're finding out why this happened, why did nobody go looking for them? Why weren't they expected? Why, 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 why? You have to start traveling up the chain of command and you're going to start getting to people in the chain of command who have been sold to the American people as heroes. People like Chester Nimitz. Ever heard of him? Are you going to drag Chester Nimitz in front of a court-martial and blame him for what happened for the Indianapolis? You can't do that. You just told the American public he's a lion. So they blamed it all on the captain. They blamed it all on the captain for not zigzagging. And they blamed it on the captain, and this part gets uncomfortable. They blamed it on the captain for not going down with his ship. I know you know how important that can be. And when he did survive, because the captain survived, he was one of the people in the rafts. And when you're a parent who hears about the fact her son got eaten alive by a shark, And the captain who chose not to zigzag is certainly not luxuriating, but sitting in a raft over there by your boy, there's going to be some bitterness there. And there was. They blamed the captain. And they blamed him so much that, I mean, this is a new level of bitterness. I don't know that I've ever heard of something like this before in military circles. For decades after the war, decades, parents would send Christmas cards to the captain. Dan Carlin talks about this in his great hardcore history podcast, talking about the Indianapolis. They send letters to the captain saying, I hope you enjoyed your Christmas. I don't have one with my son because of you. Captain ended up... uh, committing suicide 20 years after the war. There is tragedy in this life and triumph in this life. There's bravery, cowardice, great things and bad things. You're going to experience great things and you're going to experience awful things. It's just, that's life, man. But there are very, very few things in this life 
that can cement a bitterness and hatred inside of man like injustice. A feeling of injustice is powerful. Whether that feeling is legitimate or not legitimate, that is a powerful, powerful feeling. And the people who always get justice, the people who have life laid out for them, the people who are, they live with red carpets. They can easily, easily fail to realize the anger, the simmering anger that can be bubbling in people who aren't getting their justice. John Lewis, that dead congressman, had his fourth or fifth funeral yesterday in Atlanta. People were packed in the pews, shoulder to shoulder. The anger I'm getting from people, including me, about that is palpable. Quote, these funerals make me so dang mad. She didn't say dang. My father-in-law, retired U.S. Navy, could only have 10 people at his graveside service, and the headcount included the preacher. He couldn't have an honor guard. At the time, there were no viruses in our county. End quote. Quote, my dad died in April. Had to say goodbye to him over a effing FaceTime call. Couldn't get within 100 yards of the hospital. No funeral, no family grieving, end quote. Quote, my dad's memorial mass was supposed to be on Saturday. We're told it's not safe to have 50 people indoors at a church that seats 600. He died in May. We're not sure if we'll be able to have it in September either. Maine has 420 active cases statewide, end quote. You people in power who think you can abuse us and then rub it in our faces, you had better start being real, real careful. You know, your house smells. Don't get mad. Don't get mad. My house smells too. I'm not, I'm not indicting you. I'm sure you keep a clean home, but just time means you're going to acquire smells, whether those are cooking smells that get in your paint, your carpet, maybe they're animal smells, maybe you're a smoker or someone else was, just living creates smells. I didn't realize that my home had a smell to it until I got my first Eden Pure Thunderstorm, the greatest air purifier I've ever, ever owned in my life. This thing, I had it plugged in for two hours, I came back in the room and my air smelled so clean. I now own three of them. I'm not making that up. This thing has absolutely changed me on top of what it's done for my allergies. Go get one. Get two. Be like me and get three. Go to EdenPureDeals.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE. That gets you 10 bucks off and free shipping. EdenPureDeals.com. Promo code JESSE. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. 
a great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Since 9-11, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been committed to improving the lives of America's veterans, first responders, and their families. For over 20 years, the foundation has helped America keep its solemn promise to never forget. Tunnel to Towers provides mortgage-free homes to Gold Star families and the families of fallen first responders with young children, builds specifically adapted smart homes for catastrophically injured veterans, and is working to eradicate veteran homelessness. David Marshall served in the Army during World War II and fought in the Battle of the Bulge. He has never forgotten the sacrifices of his comrades nor the efforts of first responders on 9-11 and in the days and months that followed. He is a loyal and proud foundation donor. Tunnel to Towers is committed to supporting veterans, first responders, and their families, and so many of them need your help. Join the foundation on its mission to do good and never forget. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. So I, I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, I'm here for you. So bother me when no one's listening because I will. Bother me when it feels like it won't get better because it can bother me because you're never a bother. Whether it's a low point or a crisis, get help for yourself or a friend. Learn more at neverabother.org or call or text 988, available 24-7. Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.